the following episode of True Stories Based on Fiction may contain profanity. Um, and it may contain other explicit language and things of such. If you are offended by things like this, I would recommend that you don't listen. Um, so on this episode, we are joined by the comic book superstar, Frank Quitely, who's probably the nicest guy in comics. No offense to anyone else we've interviewed or we've spoken to. But uh, we met him in Motor City Comic Con. We were just enamored by how gracious he was, how genuine he was, and how respectful and honest and just very cool guy that he was. Um, so he agreed to come on the show. Um, and it, here's what we see. Here's what we're going to speak about on the show. We're going to talk about his adventures in Detroit during Motor City Comic Con, and there's actually some pretty funny stories there. We're going to talk about this is an ongoing theme of. Well, let me go go back a little bit. This is the first episode of our second session of the summer interview sessions, starting off with Frank Quitely. And um, he's going to talk about censorship at the Big Two, which is one of the themes of our summer interview sessions. So he has some thoughts on that. He's going to finally tell us if uh, Mark Miller's name is pronounced Miller or Millar, once and for all, definitively, and explains the the, the etymology of, his, of Miller's last name. He will also explain the delays on the top-selling, I think, Ice Award-winning Duper's Legacy with his the aforementioned Mark Miller. Um, he's also going to tell us his vision on the on his collaboration with Grant Morrison, we three, um, and how it was based on manga and anime, which if you think about it, you can definitely see that. Um, also, he will tell us why he feels that All-Star Superman is his, uh, why it meant so much to the fans and what it meant to him as a person. So, um, like all of our other episodes, we put a lot into it. We hope you enjoy it. And um, be sure to listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be iTunes Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Player FM. We're working on getting on Spotify. It hasn't happened yet, but we're working on it. Um, so until next time, enjoy the following episode. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are Night Entertainment. We've got exactly ten minutes to decide if you really want to know. You have built this city. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've done. Asking, what were you working on today? And it's a top secret. One of them is kind of secret. I, I've got two main things on just now. One of them is um, designing a character for someone. Um, pretty, pretty kind of detailed description of what they wanted. Mm-hmm. To my interpretation of their description. So 
Um, he's been very patient. He, he's been he's been waiting since uh, I was halfway through Jupiter's Legacy. Wow, how long that took. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he's been waiting. He's been waiting a long time for me to get around to doing this one, and uh, and also I've been doing roughs for a an album cover, but I, at this stage I'm I'm not to see whose album it is. Yeah, because you were kind of talking about that as your panel at a Motor City. Yeah. 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 So kind of to... I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, friend. Did, did I... I didn't di- divulge the name of the artist. No, the City, no. no I, fe- good. I feel like you wanted to a little bit, but, but you held back. I'm sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian here... Oh, yeah, well, I'm, so... I'm Evan, like the guy who was doing like the correspondence with you, and then sure. right next to me is Brian, uh, my co-host. Hello. Okay, hi Brian. Hi Evan. Yeah. And do you prefer Vince or Frank? Oh, I guess for the I guess for the the podcast it should probably be Frank. But, okay. Um, but next next time we run into each other, you can feel free to call me by either name. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> And, and so, was that your first Motor City Comic Con? Yes, it was. That was my first time uh, anywhere in that whole region. So, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, that was one of the reasons that I was kind of keen to to, to do Motor City Con, uh, con because uh, I'd never been out that way before. I'd never seen Detroit before, um, you know, so... Um, it was kind of a combination of a new place and uh, and also I'd heard kind of good things about the the con itself and I knew I knew a uh, Mike White who who kind of helps with the the guests and uh, I've met Mike a bunch of times before and you know so I was quite keen to I was quite keen to try it for a for a bunch of reasons. Were you able to get around and? Uh visit any parts of Detroit yeah well we we flew in on the Thursday afternoon so we have we had an evening meal um, and with some of the other guests which is which is always really nice it's one of the nicest things about going to a con when you you meet some some new people you haven't met before you meet some people you know that you've not seen for a year or ten years or whatever um, so that was really nice but we arrived on Thursday afternoon, and I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the con, mm-hmm. and we were we were flying out on Tuesday morning, so we only had one day, which was the Monday. Right. And it also it also happened to be our our wedding anniversary. And oh wow! My wife my wife doesn't go to a lot of cons with me. I mean, I don't go to a lot of cons, and uh, of the few cons that I go to, my wife only comes to a few of them with me. So. <laughs> It was kind of it was kind of nice that um, she came to this one and it was our our wedding anniversary. So uh, on um, the Monday, um, we got a, neither of us have an Uber account, so we just got a regular taxi, a regular <laughs> cab into yeah, it's like forty five minutes or something. <laughs> we got we got a cab into Detroit, and we were, and the thing is, I mean I. I did try and Google it a bit just to see what I should be doing, and I did take some recommendations from from fans because during the the signings, you know, like every now and again, like somebody would say, "Have you had a chance to 
see the city yet? Have you, you know? And uh, and I would say not yet, but we've got we've got a free day on Monday. We're going to check it out then. And some people would say you got to try this slow cook barbecue place. You got to try Greek Town. You got to try here. <laughs> you know, you got to try this microbrewery. And so I actually had a bunch of uh, post-it notes with recommendations. Um, <laughs> but we uh, the the cab driver he said the best thing to do was to to drop us off at the uh, there's like a monorail uh, a circular monorail in the uh, yes yes yep yep I think it's called the the city mover or something mover yeah that's it yep yep and um, and he said you know you just kind of you just get out when you want whenever you see something interesting just get out and have a look (laughs) and get back on and of course um, the first couple of stops seemed quite quiet and because uh, we started off down at the waterfront, and um, and then we got off, and we 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 kind of walked into Greek Town, and we found a nice barbecue place for for lunch, and uh, so we had some nice food, and then we thought we would we would go to the uh, oh god, it's, it seems so long now. It's the initials, <laughs> uh, and it's, it's like the it's the. I guess it's the Detroit Art Institute. Oh yes, yes, Institute yes. Of Art or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so I was kind of keen to see that. And I, my wife was kind of keen to go and find some high-end shopping. But uh, so we, we we decided we would we would go and check out the the art gallery first, and then we would go to we would find some shops. But we walked. And we thought we'd just be able to flag a cab in the street, and we walked and we walked and we walked. <laughs> we, eventually, we eventually walked the whole way to the to the art gallery. It took like forty minutes. Yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it was shut when we arrived because it was a Monday. You know, I, I really should have googled it first. It's my own fault. <laughs> but uh, so then we ended up getting another cab out to some um, shopping place, and uh, and then we ended up. By the time we got there. We looked around some shops and we ended up going for dinner. And it was actually a really nice dinner, so uh, that was kind of cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, but it's so I mean, I, I didn't really see much of Detroit. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's, there's lots to see there, but uh, I didn't see much of it. It's, you know, but um, but it was, it was good. It was, it was a good, uh, it was a good break. You know, it's good. To, I think I thoroughly enjoyed the con as well. So that was, that was all good. Well, we loved having you there for the con, definitely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because when we saw your name on, like, the guests was like, oh, is this Frank Quietly? Coming to Motor City? Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, so it was definitely a great experience. Oh, you know what? But question for you. What's the barbecue place up uh, over uh, uh, the Red Smoke? Oh, I don't know. It was a Greek place. Okay. It was, uh, it was a Greek barbecue. Oh, yep. I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name of it right now, though. It's, it's actually it's a short street that had like I don't know it must have had three or four Greek places like kind of in a row mm-hmm. um, and if um, do you know it's like a five minute walk from the General Motors uh, building on the the waterfront mm-hmm. um, but anyway we had we had some nice food. Uh, we had what started off as a nice walk and then started coming into <laughs> kind of endurance test. <laughs> yeah. Just we are so convinced we would eventually, you know, we'd eventually 
a cab would go by and we could flag it down and nothing came. Yeah, so the, we just kept walking and walking. Yeah, that's uh, New York City or sh- Chicago. <laughs> uh, there, you definitely want to call ahead for you know, of our taxi. <laughs> <laughs> but now you know. So uh, if you were invited back, uh, uh, would you go again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but this time, this time I would do my homework <laughs> into the city. Yes. I would have a plan. But you know that way you just, you go to a city, you think, uh, you know, well, you think you'll find something and you, you think all the good things that you're interested in are going to be quite near each other, which is not always the case. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But the other thing is, of course, we got up in the hotel and we had a kind of leisurely breakfast and spoke to the, the other guests who were still there and then we went away and had our showers and, you know, so we didn't actually kind of set off until midday. So we didn't get into we didn't get into Detroit until like I don't know like one o'clock in the afternoon. So I mean straight away we'd kind of we'd kind of I wouldn't say we'd wasted a lot of time. We had a nice morning with the other guests, but mm-hmm. from the point of view of trying to see trying to see a new city in a day, we did actually we turned up pretty late, you know. Right. So. Uh, yeah, so if I come back, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely have more of a plan, <laughs> or, a, or a, I'll, I'll enlist a local to uh, to act as a guide. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. So, uh, how do you and the wife cope cope with the uh, time travel, aka the time zone difference? Well, you know, it's always easy coming from the UK to the states because. All the flights are in the morning, so you arrive in the states. You know, like you leave, you leave Glasgow at like I don't know, like nine o'clock in the morning, and you arrive in Detroit or New York or wherever you're flying into. Like it's like a couple of hours later because it's it's like a seven-hour flight, but a five-hour five time difference. <laughs> as if you've just been travelling for two hours. You set off in the morning, you know, and you arrive at lunchtime, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, by the time we went out for our evening meal, it was kind of like, I don't know, it was like seven o'clock in the evening, but it was really midnight. <laughs> but it's actually just like, you get nights like, well, I get nights like that anyway, but it's seven o'clock in the evening, you're like, oh God, I can go to bed. I feel like, you know, it feels like midnight. <laughs> so it just feels like an evening that you're tired. So you just kind of, you kind of work through it and go to bed, you know, and it, it's really easy to settle in on the way over. It's when you go back and you do the all the, the flights back to the UK or Europe from the States. They're always night flights. And, mm-hmm. you know, by the time you have your dinner, watch a movie, and you've really only got a couple of hours left to sleep before they wake you up for your breakfast. <laughs> so and then of course you arrive at 7 o'clock in the morning and you've hardly slept since like the previous morning so it always takes much longer to readjust right. on the way home but um, on this occasion um, we were travelling uh, with a guy called Joseph Melcher um, Joseph reps me and Dave Gibbons and Brian Boland and a bunch of others mm-hmm. and uh, and Joseph's a seasoned traveller, and he said, you know, you should take some melatonin. And uh, he said, you know, you can buy it in drugstores, you can buy it in the airports. And uh, 
and they're just these capsules or these wee soft pills that melt in your tongue and mm-hmm. you take a couple of these before you go to sleep and it, it supposedly helps you readjust to the, the time zone and coming back from Detroit was absolutely the easiest readjustment either myself or my wife have had in any of the times we've travelled back from cons or from family vacations or whatever By so I mean it's either Detroit or it's the, the melatonin I'm not sure which <laughs> let's say Detroit one of, those, one of those two factors made it really easy this thing <laughs> very cool um, so during your panel, we, you kind of revealed that a dream project for or dream projects for you would be either a run on Daredevil or, or the Hulk. So we were wondering, like, if you had a storyline in mind, if something you were trying to write yourself, uh, that type no. of thing. No, it's actually um, Daredevil's a character that I've I've loved since I was a child, um, and also. Um, Notably, Frank Miller and a bunch of other people sure. have actually done really good stuff with Daredevil over the years. Um, wasn't it uh, Matt Fraction and David Aha that mm-hmm. uh, yep. run on it a couple of years back? Um, uh, it's funny. Do you remember the Do you remember the the David Aha issue that or Aha? <laughs> um, and, and it featured the dog. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well. Um, we, um, there's over in Scotland there's a, a book festival uh, called the Edinburgh International Book Festival and uh, this is for like book books not comic books <laughs> uh, but, um, but Chris Weir being a book book kind of guy um, book book kind of comic guy Chris Weir was one of the guests so myself and a few friends drove from Glasgow through to Edinburgh because we wanted to we wanted to see the, the Chris Weir panel Right, and uh, and we were we were trying to think up questions for Chris Weir on the on the car journey on the way through, and uh, one of them was um, what gave you the idea of doing the 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 the, 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 the Hawkeye story from the point point of view of the dog, and uh, you know just because we thought it would be kind of funny to mm-hmm. you know. Um, and who would win between Hulk and Superman? You know, right. just the kind of just the kind of questions you think this way might really appreciate. But um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I've I've liked Daredevil for a long time, and um, but you know, like Spider Man, he's one of these guys that comes with this enormous baggage of of having a cityscape over his shoulder and right. everything, and. Uh, and that's actually slightly awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Hulk, yeah, I've I've also loved Hulk since I was a child, and, um, and in particular, I kind of like the idea of doing the that transition, you know, that becoming Hulk. Right. Thing. Yeah. So, but no, no, I've got I've got I've got no particular stories, and I've got no particular time in mind when I would maybe like to do. Actually, do you know another character I would love to do at some point would be Conan the Barbarian. Wow. Yeah, I love Conan. I, I when I was when I was um, I don't know younger than ten, I remember seeing a bunch of uh, John Buscema Conan, mm-hmm. just thinking it's, it was the coolest thing ever. Now, would you? be looking to wanting to write and draw or just predominantly draw those series if you got the opportunity 
to be honest, it being other people's characters, I would probably, I would probably want to work with a writer. Um, the stuff that I've written for myself is very much like, it's like a bunch of very different types of short stories, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get nominated for any Pulitzers or anything for my <laughs> the kind of stories I've I've been writing. You know, um, but yeah, I mean the, the thing is, I any time I think of a, a a short story that I would like to draw for myself, um, it's always short. Um, it's, it can be across a number of genres, but it's always short. I don't. The way I think, I've never I've never felt compelled to write uh, like a four issue mini right. or anything longer than that. I, I, I don't feel, at the moment at least, I don't feel that I've got a novel in me that's, you know, that I'm itching to get out. It's just, I've, over the years, I've thought of a bunch of stories, and I've, some of them I've just got listed in note form, and some of them I've actually written out full form, uh, either for somebody else to do or for myself to do. And so, but they've always been short, and most of them have been kind of either horrific or... <laughs> or or a combination of both. Like, <laughs> don't expect cleverness. Only, only, only gross out humour. Um, well, I know a lot of. Uh, yeah. So if I, mm-hmm. I know a lot of uh, writers and artists are actually collaborating a little bit more nowadays, like uh, Mark Wade and Chris Samney, where they, you know, they're co-plotting together. So that would be even mm-hmm. something that's interesting to see if you could. Uh, be able to kind of co-plot or co-write some of your ideas that you have with another uh, writer and then get the opportunity to draw those. Yeah, that would be another way of doing it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think I'll, I think I'll start with some of the I'll start with some of the shorts and right. get a few shorts a few shorts out of the way first um, and, the, and take it from there. And uh, Frank... You haven't worked for Marvel in quite some time, but all three of those characters, Conan as of, of a few weeks ago, I believe, are, are owned by Marvel now. So I bet Marvel will be pretty happy to have you back. Well, let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Marvel have got uh, they've got they've got a bunch of really good characters. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I would. I'd be happy to, to go back and, and uh, work at Marvel um, at some point. And similarly, there's there's stuff at DC um, I'd be happy to do as well. Mm-hmm. But I, just where I'm at just now, um, I got Jupiter's Legacy finished uh, last year. Yes. And in the year since then... Um, the only thing I've actually done in comics uh, is a bunch of covers. Yeah, like the Milk Wars so, covers, right? Pardon? The uh, Milk Wars covers, right? Yeah, I did the Milk Wars covers. I did a Klaus cover for Boom Studios for Grant's book. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I did, a, I did a Kick-Ass cover, a Kingsman cover. Mm-hmm. I, I did a cover for a, a Scottish indie book called The Edge Off. Um, uh, I don't know. I, 
there'll be somebody listening to this cursing me for not remembering the <laughs> cover as well. But um, yeah, I did. I did a bunch of covers, but um, but uh, I've been doing. I've been doing some jobs out with comics. Some. Uh, some illustration and some kind of uh, I, I, I did drawings for a for a hotel group they, there's a new hotel built in Glasgow at Radisson Red and um, so I did all the drawings for the the bedrooms and for wow. all the public areas so that was kind of cool yeah um, uh, and it was one of these things like when I started it I thought wow this is going to take me weeks <laughs> I should I should have known and it, 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 and it took months it took Oof. months to do all this stuff um, but um, yeah it's, it's actually it's nice um, it's, it's kind of nice to every now and again to step out with comics and do do something different do some book illustration do some uh, CD covers, do some murals. Oh, I can you know, imagine do a bit of writing, whatever. But you know, it's it's now starting to feel like it's kind of been long enough. You know, and uh, I want to get back into back into doing the comics again. So. I'm sure there's a lot of fans that are excited to hear that news and get you back in. Yeah. So, um, will there? Kind of to that point, um, it, when you do get back out of doing uh, more consistent comic work, is there going to be a Jupiter's Legacy three? Um, I honestly don't know yet. Um, when Mark and I started talking about it all those years ago, right? <laughs> um, he was talking about Jupiter's Legacy, Jupiter's Circle. In fact, I think the way it ran, like, in the chronology of the the, the, the the story, I think it was Jupiter's Circle, Jupiter's Legacy, Jupiter's Requiem. Okay. If my memory, if my memory serves me right. But um, I took so long. I mean, literally, it took me longer to draw Jupiter's Legacy than it's ever taken to draw anything else before. I just, I, I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it's a midlife crisis or what it was, but I actually hit a slump, a, like, um, in terms of my output, um, and I was really into the story, and I actually, I felt I was doing really good work. I just couldn't actually get through the pages, which was really frustrating. And um, but I think I. I think maybe this is just a. I've, I've not run this theory past Mark yet, but my theory is that I took so long drawing the book that he doesn't want to ask me to draw the third one. <laughs> so, which is okay because you know if I started the third one and it it was going as slowly as the uh, Jupiter's Legacy went, then I would I would uh, I'd probably have a breakdown. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I'm quite happy with it. I'm quite happy that he hasn't actually been in touch yet to, to ask. We we've had a bunch of nights out actually and managed not to talk about it. Really, that's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's because other people have been there. Maybe that's maybe that's the, yeah, because it's top secret work. Yeah. Um. So. Was there was there ever a time when you were going to draw uh, Jupiter Circle as well? No, no, that was never on the cards. Okay. Um, he wanted me to, he wanted me to do the covers so that it felt like there was some sort of consistency, at least, you know, like 
um, on the shelves and on the collections. Right. And he wanted me to. There was a few bits and pieces that needed designed. Um, that weren't characters that weren't um, in Jupiter's legacy. And, uh, so there was those. Uh, I don't know if they were called slaughterbots or not. There was the the the, the robots that. Um, Sheldon fought yes. in yeah, civilian clothes. Mm-hmm. Spoiler one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, too late. You're messing right. with the first time. <laughs> chance to wait. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so there was a bunch of there was a few things uh, that I had to design for for Jupiter Circle just to kind of continuity stay consistent. Yeah, mm-hmm. but no, it was it was never it was never it was never. I, do you know if I if I was like John Romita Junior or something and could draw you know quickly mm-hmm. and uh, maybe maybe it might have been on the cards that I did everything but um, I know John Nemita Jr so mm-hmm. uh, um, so it was it was never on the cards and now that I took so long with Jupiter's Legacy I, I feel nothing more is on the cards <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing other than nights out with Mark and I don't, I don't know how long it, maybe it's a bit like childbirth you know like you it's so bad at the time you, you know like we would always say I'll never do it again and <laughs> a few months later they actually forget and that's right. why we do it again so maybe maybe I don't know another year or two Mark will forget just how long it took <laughs> I hate why do something else together <laughs> so like were there any um discussions where Mark was like yo Frank uh, what's up on those pages though Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it actually got to the stage where he said, you know, what is the problem? And I, <laughs> and I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm working really, really long hours. I just can't seem to get through the work. Everything's taking much longer than it usually takes. And he said, why? The work doesn't look significantly different from previous work. Why is it taking longer? And I said, it's taking longer at the planning stage, but I'm thumbnailing the pages. You know, like, instead of doing a couple of thumbnail drawings for each panel on the script, I'm doing, like, six, ten, twelve thumbnails for each frame. Wow. And, uh, and then I'm spending ages working out from all these different thumbnails, working out all the different types of sequences that I could, you know, Mm-hmm. Almost like, almost like I was, almost like I was taking a class, you know, sh- showing the students all the different ways you could do it. <laughs> but you know, for an audience of none, and um, and he said like, can you, can you not stop doing that? Can you not just right? And I said I don't know if I can. I did, I'm just I seem to be stuck in this way of working. And he said, you know, would you, would you go and speak to a hypnotherapist? <laughs> my my normal staggering two pages a week uh, output 
you know, and that was up from less than one page a week. So it was, yeah, it was, uh, it totally worked. It totally got me back to nice to normal. Yeah. Um. But I would say that, uh, in my humble opinion, um, the second series was was my was my personal favorite work of yours. Cause like like the fight scenes, the uh, all the landscapes, the character design. I can see how it took so long. And then Mark is kind of used to that because on the Ultimates with Brian Hitch, it was a similar uh, scenario. Like all of the greats take a little bit longer than the average artist, you know. So I get it. Uh, well, well, I appreciate that, but. Um thank you but um, one of the differences and obviously uh, I've had the the pleasure of meeting Brian a couple of times but I don't know him well Mm -hmm. uh, whereas I I know Mark pretty well and uh, so I've really only got Mark's work for this but I believe one of the differences between me and Hitch is that where Mark will phone me up and say, dude, where's the pages? And I'll say, Mark, I'm really sorry. I'm trying really hard. It's just, you know, <laughs> Hitch actually thinks he draws really fast. <laughs> <laughs> Mark used to say when they were doing the Ultimates, like, he'd phone Hitch up and say, you know, like, Brian, where's the pages? And, uh, and Brian would be like, oh, I've actually hit a real streak of productivity now. I'm working really fast. I'm doing, like, three pages a week. Mars, well, I mean, I've been working on this for months, and we've only got four pages. Thank you. Three a week, you know. But um, so it's it, 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 at least back then it seems like like Hitch was uh, Hitch was believing that he was he was much faster than he was, and I was, <laughs> and I was lamenting the fact that I was as slow as I was. But um, yeah, we, we were both pretty frustrating for Mark to work with, without a doubt. Mhm. So. Uh, one thing I noticed, Frank, is that you kind of find a niche with uh, certain artists, like, and you work well with them. I mean, Grant Morrison and uh, Mark Miller, which I, I do got to ask, does he go by M- Miller or Millar? In Scotland, it's Miller. <laughs> uh, over here, we don't really make a distinction with, with the, if it's spelled E-R or A-R at the mm. end. So you've got Frank Miller and Mark Millar. Uh, over in Scotland, everybody's just Miller. Gotcha. It's just it's just one pronunciation. Um, but um, yeah, when I was I I got the the thing when I was talking about Mark when I was at Collins, if I was talking to fans or whatever or interviewers, often when I said Mark Miller, they thought I was saying Matt Miller. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so I actually, I actually went through a phase of calling him Mark Millar, but then I would sometimes forget, and I would call him Millar, like, to his family members and stuff, <laughs> and they just thought it was hilarious, like, it was just like Mark acting poached. Um, <laughs> um, well, thank you for that clarification. Right, right. <laughs> um, but, um, like I said, so I noticed you've, you find your niche with uh, very specific writers, um, yeah. and one thing I didn't realize was uh, your earlier work was a lot with Alan Grant with DC, yeah. um, and I noticed that you had a Lobo story that, is that correct, that it never got published? Oh, yes, that is correct, yes. Was What was the reasoning behind that? Just Was it maybe, was it too adult material for DC at the time, or... What's what's the rating of this show? Uh, whatever you would like. R X. Uh, oh, whatever the equivalents are in Scotland. 
All the way, bro. <laughs> okay, no, no, I'll, 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 I'll be delicate with it. No. Um, Free, please speak freely. Speak freely. Okay. Well, funnily enough, um, I was... Alan Grant lives in a tiny, tiny village in Scotland. It's, it's not even a village. It's probably a hamlet or something. It's, <laughs> it's like... It's, it's a... It's a... It's a small cluster of houses. And he has this... Um, he has this tiny comic convention festival thing every year that like I don't know maybe a hundred people go to mm. and, uh, and every year there's always there's always Alan Grant and John Wagner um, and then some like this year there was a uh, Cam Kennedy and uh, um, I don't know they, they, they get a bunch of people to go to this and it's mostly for the locals uh, but some comic fans from Glasgow or Edinburgh or other places in Scotland go to it as well, but it's a tiny, tiny convention. And somebody, I was doing a panel with um, Alan Grant and Cam Kennedy, and um, and somebody asked, you know, like, what was kind of like? Give us an example of a moment, you know, like in your career where something really kind of special happened it felt like a big jump forward and one of my early um, special moments was um, I was at a, a convention in Glasgow and um, Alan Grant like was chatting to me and at the time I was reading um, Shadow of the Bat which mm-hmm. Alan was writing and Lobo which Alan was writing, and that was that was two comics that I looked forward to every month. And um, and Alan, he didn't just say to me, "If you ever want to draw a Lobo, you know, let me know." He didn't ever offer me Batman at the time because he had asked his bat editors if I, if they, he could do a Batman story with me. They said no because they said I was a vertical artist and I wouldn't I wouldn't do a good job with superheroes. Hmm. But. Um, but he he didn't just say if you want to do a Lobo story. He said to me, if you ever want me to write you a Lobo story, just ask. Wow. And I was just I was just starting out. It was just like wow. And, uh, and he was laughing when I told the story. But uh, and so he, I said I would love. I, I said I, you know like you know like. I've read all this, the, 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 the local stories you've done, particularly the ones that Simon Bisley has drawn. Right. And, uh, I love it, you know. And uh, I, I was like, yeah, I totally love it if, if I could get a chance at drawing a Lobo. And he said, sure. He said, I'll write you a story. What kind of story do you want? And um, and I was working at, with the, at the, the Judge Dread magazine, which is a sister comic to 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the uh, the writer was Robbie Morrison. Uh, he's a he's a Scottish writer who he's done a bunch of things for the American market, but he's mostly he's mostly worked for 2000 AD. He was kind of the second dread writer after John Wagner. Right. And, um, and Robbie and I had been doing a a kind of futuristic Japanese sci-fi. Funnily enough, it was, it was set in a cityscape, and uh, 
my only shortcut that I could find was by drawing the buildings but not putting people in the streets. So it was like the, it was like the quietest future Japan you've ever seen. You know, bike by holiday Japan. And, uh, but um, I had been doing all these like high-tech guns and laser knives and stuff and I just, I didn't want anything sci-fi, I didn't want anything high-tech, I didn't want anything that involved a lot of tech or kit or anything else. So I said to him, you know, could we have something that was just hand-to-hand combat? And he went away and like a week later or something, he sent me a script and it was called The Hand-to-Hand Job. (laughs) And and it was Lobo, um, there was a... There was a publisher of a man, a, a men's magazine, you know, like a kind of Playboy style magazine. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was he was kidnapped by hominists, which was a male equivalent of feminists. It was back when, <laughs> it was back, back when a guy called Iron John was uh, in the the news in America all the time. He was one of these guys that wanted to take men out into the forest and encourage them to hug trees and oh wow kind of reconnect with their masculinity and all the rest of it in a, in a, in a modern constructive way I believe but anyway and it, Alan had this guy he was called Iron Dick <laughs> John and he um, and he was behind the the kidnapping because he didn't agree with the, you know, the kind of, the porn mag thing. And, uh, and they needed the guy's hand back to open the, the vaults with the printing plates because, you know, it was a, a palm-sensitive uh, safe that the printing plates were kept in. And by some amazing contrivance, um, Lobo had lost all his weapons, so he had to just... It was all hand-to-hand combat, but anyway, the story was called the hand-to-hand job, and <laughs> long story short, it was just—it was just generally felt by the publisher. It was—it was—it was sitting somewhere awkwardly between fully mature readers, and uh, but it was just a bit too—it was a bit too silly. It was a bit too—it was a bit too much of a comedy, I think. Right, um, and. Uh, too much satire for DC. Pardon? Too much satire for DC. And maybe I think so. Or maybe it was just too much bad taste. <laughs> too much schoolboy humor. Right. But um, for whatever reason, it it didn't fly. And I had I had penciled twenty four pages. Uh, wow. Twenty four page uh, one shot. It's just standalone issue. And uh, and it and it never came out. Um, so, uh, I'd love to see an image of Lobo that you've done because it's a character I've never seen you draw before. Oh, do you know I actually had him? I actually had him with the instead of with spiky hair, he had kind of long straight hair. I don't know if that was a slight subconscious nod to Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> or maybe it's just because I prefer like um, Dad Rob to. To glam rock or something. I didn't want the back home tail look. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, it never came out. So, and then the, the next thing that Alan and I did after that was a uh, Batman the Scottish Connection, which uh, was when when uh, Bruce Wayne went over to Scotland. Uh, supposedly, 
for a holiday and um, and he ended up of course stumbling over a mystery and, and uh, solving it a bit like Scooby Doo you know <laughs> any time those guys have got a day off you know yeah uh, they always go to the beach and the beach has been haunted by somebody or you know whatever they try and do they always stumble in a mystery and end up having to solve it so uh, <laughs> Funnily enough, I was actually talking to Larry Gainham uh, at the DC. He's the kind of talent relations guy. Okay. He's a VP in the Bay. And, uh, and we were talking about things that I might like to do in the future. And he, and he was partly interested in things that I might write. And, um, and I said, you know, Scooby-Doo would be one that I'd like to write. And he was just like, we can't afford to have you write Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> to cover your page and um, but yeah I mean I my uh, I've got I've got three kids and the two boys are, are older and mm-hmm. I used to tell them bedtime stories and they always wanted a different story every night just a different a different type of story different characters different settings everything had to be different every night and uh, a few years later I, I, uh, I got a, a daughter as well and she only ever wanted Scooby-Doo stories <laughs> every night. Every night I had to think of a new Scooby-Doo story. And they were, if you think the old pre-Scrappy-Doo Scooby-Doo's were kind of formulaic. Yeah. They had nothing on me. It was basically the same story every night. <laughs> you know, but, but it was a different rubber mask. And sometimes it was a janitor and sometimes it was a headmaster. I mean, it was like, <laughs> they were terrible, but she loved them. So I, I made up a new... A kind of new a Scooby-Doo story every night for like I don't know five years or something. And uh, but anyway, Larry was like, "No, you absolutely can't do Scooby-Doo." <laughs> so uh, I said, "What about Offspring, Plastic Man's Son?" Because I did an Offspring book with Mark Wade years ago. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Just a one shot. And it, well, I've seen it was just a one shot. It was part of a. It was the Kingdom uh, sequel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, and Larry was like, well, maybe, maybe a Scooby-Doo offspring crossover. How are we going to work that one out? But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, we'll see. Right. One of these days, one of these days I'll, I'll write a, a cross-company crossover with the <laughs> Scooby-Doo gang and uh, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, so were there ever any other times where you were censored by Marvel or, or DC? I asked that because uh, our last I- interview was with Dan Frega, and he told us about a time where uh, he drew three issues of Wolverine around the same time that you were doing the new X-Men, where they literally redrew several panels of the book. So has anything like that happened to you? And that's also the time where Ethan Van Skyver had the uh, sex issue during like a fill-in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had some, I've had some censorship uh, and some changes here and there. Um, I think probably most noticeably on the authority. There was a bunch of stuff that was censored out of the authority because they felt it was just a bit too visually graphic for a book that didn't carry a mature reader's uh, tag or warning or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that was probably, that was mostly if 
mostly over my career, if somebody's, if an editor or whoever, publisher, whatever, has wanted a, a change, usually they say, listen, this woman needs more clothes, this, <laughs> this man's head coming off needs to be thrown out of focus or whatever, you know, I mean, they, they'll Usually they come and speak to me first, and I'll make a change. Right. Uh, just because I feel I have to. Mhm. I, I mean, I usually try and argue against it, but <laughs> it, it, it doesn't always work. Um, with the authority, I, I think it got to the stage that because I, I would always rather talk about whether or not we really needed to censor it. Uh, I think it kind of got to the stage where, like, where they were just like, you know what, let's just let's just iron out a few of these wrinkles, or you know, um, cover up a few of these exploding heads. Right. And um, yeah, so uh, so they, they ended up kind of making changes without asking me, and I would only find out when I got the printed comics sent to me. Yeah. Which yeah, which is kind of frustrating. I mean, I totally understand why it happens. From a business standpoint, kind of, yeah. Yeah, but it's also kind of frustrating as well. Um, yes. But um, and then when I was doing the the uh, when I was doing New X Men, um, at one point uh, I got a, an editorial. I think it may even have been a fax that came through, and it was basically saying that Wolverine had. They didn't say he found a new hairdresser, but Wolverine's look had changed, and uh, he had a, a kind of um, he had different facial hair, and it was, and we, everybody was kind of encouraged to follow suit. Mm-hmm. So instead of having the the big sideburns and stubble, he was kind of clean shaven, but he had one of these I don't know what you call it if it's an apostrophe or something, you know the. You know the thing Frank Zappa had, like on his lower lip. Yes. He's a big, he's a big porn star moustache, and then he had this <laughs> dot in the middle. Yes. You know, under his under his lower lip, above his chin, that thing. Yeah. Almost like a a, a more douchey goatee, almost. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, no, no offense to anybody that's rocking that look right now. Right. But um, of course. But yeah, yes. Yeah, I don't know. For Wolverine, it, it seemed a bit. I don't know, he seemed a bit too... I, I couldn't imagine him in front of the mirror sorting that out, you know? <laughs> um, but obviously try to get into the character too much here. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I just played I, I played along. I thought, well, you know, I thought Dale's is one moving to kind of have this... Yeah. ...student facial hair thing. <laughs> I'll, I'll go along with that as well, but, you know, it's... It affects the retail value of the pages, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, of course, I've, I've had some changes over the years, now and again, but usually not anything terribly bad. And, like, I get the aspect of changing it for uh, standard, for standards and practices, but, yeah, but, like, with Frega, the thing that he was the most frustrated about was he would have made the changes if they would have given him the chance to, but they just went yeah. ahead and did it. So, like, that's the part that I think was a little um, too much. Yeah, I think so, too. That, that was, like, me with the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I met Dan at the at the Motor City Con. Yep. And uh, we had some we had some really good conversations. Uh, <laughs> that that particular the censorship thing didn't actually come up to the conversation. So I'd be interested to talk to to him about that um, next time I see him. But well, well if you want to hear it, you can hear it on our previous episode, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm checking. But um. But um, yeah, I mean it is frustrating. It's frustrating when somebody else changes your artwork. Right. For for one, if they, they don't tell you first, and secondly, if they change it and they haven't given you the opportunity to change it instead, you know, because that's most most of us would rather make that change ourselves. If sure. We had to. Yeah. Sure. And I'm branching off that a, a little bit. So, uh, getting towards your new X Men run, it was very, uh, as you said at the kind at the time, controversial. But now it, it looked upon as one of the best runs ever. So, I wanted to kind of touch on um, your character designs and like the costumes, because like when I first saw it, uh, I was like, "This is really different." And it took me a while to, to actually get into it myself. But then now, that's probably it's probably one of my favorite runs. Particularly the beast. The beast. Mm-hmm. He, he had the most drastic change, I would say. And was that more so mm-hmm. your idea, or was that Grant's? That was totally Grant. Um, Grant said right from the start he, that he didn't understand why the beast looked like a big blue Wolverine, <laughs> and he reckoned that thematically the beast was was much closer to to uh, first Jean Cocteau's La Belle La Bette which is like a it's a French film director that made the French film of Beauty and the Beast okay and then which heavily influenced Disney's Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. um, aesthetic so the fact that to Grant it seemed that the beast was more like that beast more like the the man who be, who's lumbered with looking like a lion, uh, he wanted he wanted the beast to look more like what most of us know as the as the the, the fairy the fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. Right. Um, and uh, so it was just a question for me of of trying to make a kind of lion man version <laughs> of uh, the beast with with an outfit that kind of fitted. In with the aesthetic of the rest of the the, the team, and mm-hmm. all of them had a, had outfits that were tailored with kind of X shaped panels of material, and the beast, I just tailored his costume to be slightly more um, kind of like your classic fairy tale, like your classic period piece, you know, with the the tail coat and the right. You know, and the and the waistcoat and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, it's funny because when when Grant first told me he was taking over X Men, um, and he said, "I know you can't do a monthly book, but I want you to come on at the start, just when I when I launch it at first, and then just do just do issues as and when you can. You know, after that." Mm-hmm. Because uh, he said there's going to be a bunch of artists on it, and he uh, absolutely great. And he uh, and he said, you know, like he, he told me his idea about the costumes and how they could be kind of something like the movie costumes, but they had to have day glow 
panels on them because he wanted it to be kind of like the emergency services for emergency oh, wow. mutants. And, uh, I can see that now. In retrospect, I mean, I, I did even at the time I didn't get what he was talking about. <laughs> we had it. We, we we met in a cafe, um, like there was kind of uh, in Glasgow city centre. And we were talking about it, and um, and we got onto the subject of what the costume should be like. And my argument was that they really shouldn't wear costumes at all. They should just wear civilian clothes mm. because. If I had superpowers, the last thing I would do would be to make up a costume. <laughs> I, would, I would just dress the way I dressed just now, but I would have superpowers. <laughs> but Grant's argument was that if he had superpowers, the very first thing that he he would do was, would be get a costume, and his costume would have it would have a helmet, it would have a it would have a cape, the cape it would have a collar, you know, like, <laughs> like Spawn. <laughs> the way the way he described it, it sounded like it would have kind of made Spawn look really plain. Right. And, um, <laughs> so, um, so we weren't going to agree on the no costumes at all, as opposed to yes, definitely costumes and new costumes at that. So I just well, it was it, it was his book and it was his idea, and uh, mm-hmm. so and. It, the way I always look at it, no matter which writer I work with, you know, it's different if you're if you're writing and drawing your own stories. Of course, it's different. You do what you want, but if you come onto a project as the artist and you're working with a writer that you respect, um, in fact, really, if you're working with any writer, <laughs> your your first your first kind of. Um, your first approach to, to the the work should be what is it you want and how can I best give you what you want and mm-hmm. that's 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 your job as a comic artist you're you're basically telling somebody else's story in the very best way that you can right so I've never I've I've never had had a never had much of an ego about I won't do this and I will do that you know if I, if I think I've got a better idea I'll put it forward and sometimes sometimes um, I'm listened to and sometimes I'm not but the fact is my job is to my job is to tell the writer's story the way he wants it told and that's not to that's not to belittle my own or any other comic artist's contribution to a comic book far from it I grew up reading comic books by only reading the pictures not reading the words <laughs> right. I was, a, I was a, very, a very very lazy reader as a child uh, <laughs> I, but you, you know like you give 10 give 10 artists the same script and you'll get 10 very different comics because, and that's the nature of the collaboration that's what the artist brings to the story but the fact is if all ten of those artists drawing the same script. If they're all doing their job properly, all of them should be telling the writer's story as best they can. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean the comics are all going to look like each other, of course, but that's what you're meant to be doing. But, you know, so um, I had no problems about backing down, going, okay, we'll do the costumes the way you want to do. Um, so, um, and I, I mean. Grant told me roughly what he wanted for all the costumes and I went away and 
did designs and showed them the designs and some of them he was like yeah that's spot on and other ones he was like yeah I love it but could we change this wee bit here or could you give me more of that or whatever so it was a collaboration but I mean um, I, so I, I actually put a lot into designing the look of the characters but mm-hmm. it, it was uh, the, the motivation for it all came from the fact that that's what Grant was wanting um, and interestingly um, you know you were saying it took you a while to get used to them. Um, Grant warned me before the our, our first issue came out. Um, he warned me that all the people who had been reading it for years, they weren't going to like it. The people who were going to like it were, in his opinion, were going to be the critics and all the people who come over from DC and Vertigo and wherever else right. just because they, because they they liked Grant's writing or they liked Grant and myself working together. He said, the people that come to new X-Men because we're doing it, they like it. The people who've been reading X-Men for years, it's going to take them a while to get on board. And boy, was he right. <laughs> he was spot on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny because I went to CCPX. Is that what it's called? Um, I'm yeah. not familiar with that. No, it's the it's the, oh, it's the it's the big one in Sao Paulo. Oh yeah, yes, yes. I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name either, but I, I, that might be right, Frank. Uh, well, yeah, well, anyway, the big one in Sao Paulo. Um, I was doing a an X Men panel there with um, with Alan Davis and Mark Farmer and a bunch of other guys who'd all done. Uh, X-Men over the years and somebody put up their hand and said this is a question for Frank uh, what was it like to join Morrison to, you know like how did it feel when you were starting what you must have known was going to be a classic run on X-Men <laughs> <laughs> I was like wow totally didn't know it was going to I mean I, I didn't know it was going to be I didn't know it was going to be a, considered by some to be a classic run anyway but uh, certainly when we, we started out, I mean, like Grant totally warned me beforehand, you know, a lot of people aren't going to like this. And when I went online to see what they were saying about it as each issue came out, I mean, it was like, it was 50% of the, the fan reaction was pure vitriol. It was just people who hated what we'd done, you know. It was just we were just two jokers from Vertigo right. looking over and, and just like messed up the X Men for them. That's yeah, not my X Men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And fair enough. If you if you've been buying a book for years because right. you liked the way it was and two guys that you don't know about or don't care about or write different types of comics from what you're interested in, two guys come along and do it so different it just doesn't feel like the same book anymore that's got to be a disappointment you know I mean if, um, but um, I think I think in the long run most most of them came back round to it you know oh absolutely but, yeah um, because the, because the stories did bear out this, I mean Grant actually does love those characters he gets those characters you know and because um, I remember when, when we went to start it he was he was saying it's it's basically a soap opera set in a school, you know. <laughs> was a perfect way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. But um, jumping to another uh, one of your your and Grant's seminal runs was uh, All Star Superman. Mm-hmm. What was your approach 
to, or what was your guys' approach to that, or like how did he explain what the story was going to be? He just said to me, um, well, we, we just finished doing Wii 3, mm-hmm. and, um, and I loved doing Wii 3. I loved it because we were experimenting with the storytelling, and I loved it because we owned the characters and we started it from scratch, and we weren't looking at continuity and we weren't looking at what people had done previously in terms of the way it looked or you know this was just a new thing that was our thing and we could do what we wanted with it yeah and I, I was very very keen to do more creator owned work with grant I, I wanted another creator owned project and was like yeah yeah soon enough he said but first i want you to draw superman for me and i said <laughs> oh, I, I don't know if i want to do this you know like um I really want to do a creator own thing, and uh, he sat me down, and I and I know he gets Superman, and I know he loves Superman, and um, and he sat me down and he said to me, I, I want to write twelve issues that work as standalone stories but come together as one bigger story, mm. and it's my love letter to Superman. It's everything I want to see about Superman in twelve issues, and. Uh, I thought, okay, okay, and uh, and then he explained a little bit about what he wanted to do with it, and I just thought, yep, yep, I'm totally on board with this, and um, and for me, growing up, Superman, I in my mind, Superman is always kind of, he's kind of the the Kurt Swan era Superman, mm-hmm. and sure. um, and uh, but there's no point in me trying. Draw a curse one Superman because curse one does curse one better than I could ever do him. So um, I needed to just keep drawing Superman all the time until he started feeling like mine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way I did it. And you know, there's there's a there's actually a, the third script for V three has actually got quite a lot of Superman headshots throughout it because I was obviously. St- just it was in the back of my mind that I was going to be drawing Superman next, and I was uh, just kind of practicing, you know. But uh, right. it's funny because, as I say, it wasn't going into that project. It wasn't actually a first choice. But um, once he had outlined what he wanted to do with it, I was I was pretty on board, and um, and then I got the first script. And it was just like, wow, this is this is something special. And uh, and then I get the second script when they're you know they're on the Titanic and all the rest of it, yeah. trying to explain to Lois and and it just each script came in. I was just I can't believe this, you know, it was so good. Um, and it's of all the pieces of work that I've done. It's the one I think that has actually touched the most people. I think it's the one that's that's connected sure. with people the most. And uh, and from from the moment I got the first script uh, on my desk to the last time I was talking to fans about it, which was um, the Motor City Comic Con. Yeah. Um, I I just feel privileged that. It was me that got to draw it because uh, he he could have given those twelve stories to a whole bunch of 
good comic artist and that would still have been a classic book but he he gave it to me and I'm seriously grateful for the fact <laughs> that, that it was me that did it was it always uh, to be known as All-Star um, Superman or be in that All-Star line, or did uh, he originally kind of plan that to maybe be a 12-issue uh, run in the Action Comics or Superman, kind of like Batman and Jim, Lee's, or Jim Lee and uh, Jeff, Loeb. Jeff Loeb's Hush? Mm-hmm. Um, from when he approached me about it at first, it was always the All-Star line. Okay. Um... I don't know if I've imagined this or been told this <laughs> or put two and two together, but there may be some elements of what ended up in All-Star Superman that came from stuff that Grant's wanted to do with Superman for a long time, which means there might have been bits and pieces of it in rejected pitches that he's made in the past. I don't actually know. But um, from when he first approached me about it, it was all Star Superman, and um, and this is what it was going to be about. And um, mm-hmm. so, and, and Frank, um, it feels like. Uh Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when you started doing All Star Superman, that's when your artwork kind of changed a little bit, because um, that's when I noticed you started having like the, the stark white backgrounds and the kind of I feel like more white space in between the panels. I'm not sure if that's just something in my head or if that was a conscious choice. I think um, <clears throat> I think it was a conscious choice that um, Superman should have a a kind of simpler, lighter feel. Uh-huh. I had the 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 um, I'd been doing a new X Men, and I had been I'd been doing very tight pencils because I had a bunch of different inkers working right. on the pencils, and I didn't know who was going to be inking which pages. <coughs> Excuse me, mm-hmm. and um, and then I did um, a short Sandman story. Uh, with Neil Gaiman for Sandman Endless Nights and I painted that myself with right. watercolour paper um, so that was quite different from New X-Men then I did Wii 3 which was kind of Grant had described it to me as a western manga Wow. meaning, meaning in terms of writing and sensibility mm-hmm. and I had taken western manga in terms of aesthetics so I had in a very subtle way, I had geared it slightly towards a uh, Akira, for instance. You know, like uh, Katsuhiro Tomo's work. Yes, which yes. To some people, is is kind of Western manga anyway. In, in terms <laughs> of you know, in terms of the fact that it, it's very Western looking when you put it up against everything or the majority of other things right. that qualify as manga, and that's a very broad field with a lot of subgenres. But um, so I had gone from something that was kind of um, that had a fair amount of hatching and a, a and a something of a manga influence mm-hmm. to doing All Star Superman, where I wanted something that was simpler. It was a simpler line with more open space, either for white or for a or for the colorist, but. Um, and then after I had done that, um, I, I did some uh, Batman and Robin, 
Yes, yeah. Um, which had a lot more spotted blacks, a lot more heavy shadow, a lot more a lot more rendering, a lot more texture, um, probably a bit more detail as well. So it, it was a conscious decision to try and make All Star Superman a kind of a kind of somewhat simplified kind of uh, line work kind of thing. Yeah, but. I- but I would argue to say it was complex simplicity, though. And I feel like you employed the same style on Jupiter's Legacy. Would you agree to that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good call. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, um, I, 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 like your, yeah, I like your complex simplicity line there. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought put it that way, but it certainly wasn't accidental simplicity or, or lazy simplicity. It was it was very considered simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wanting to, I was wanting to have a slightly cleaner, more open a uh, a uh, line um, because I felt it suited the character and the and the story. And similarly, when I um, you know when I when I approached. Um, Batman and Robin. I was wanting something that was more in keeping with, with the, with the way I feel about Batman. And right. Batman works in a bunch of different ways. You know the, the, the Adam West TV show really works for me. Really. It really works for me in a different way from the way Frank Miller's Batman stuff really works for me. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you can do. I think you can do Batman in a lot of different ways, and he's still Batman. Whereas with Superman, I think you're working within a narrower set of parameters to keep him like Superman. I would agree. But when I did Jupiter's Legacy, um, the the first generation of heroes were historically from the same time as Superman. Right. You know. They got their powers in the 1930s, and they grew up serving their community, serving their country, serving their fellow humans. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was they were altruistic. Um, they were good role models, and so on. And it struck me that I could probably approach Jupiter's Legacy in a similar way to All Star Superman, mm-hmm. and it would it would work for that first generation of heroes who were like Superman, but it could also work just as easily for subsequent generations of heroes who were dressed a bit more like the Authority or who were just wearing civilian clothes. Right. You know, and um, so. Uh, I hadn't really, I hadn't really been terribly conscious uh, of the fact that there's more of a similarity between All Star Superman and Jupiter's Legacy than there is maybe with with Batman and Robin or We Three or some of the this stuff that I'd done prior to that. But um, I, I totally agree with you. I think I think there is there is actually quite a there is quite a connection between Jupiter's legacy and all-star Superman yeah just aesthetically yeah like like the more that we're speaking about it I'm seeing it more and more because I feel like you the, the colorist I'm not sure if it was the same person there's also a more bright airy color palette to say like your Batman work or the authority or the X-Men which I think for me for my art art palette for your work it works the best 
it, it's almost like a Marvel movie, like how, how they're super bright versus like the kind of dull palette of the DC movies. Yep, yep. And it's very yeah. airy and just pops on the page, especially with those white backgrounds and, and, and like the white gutters, as we were talking about before. Is it pops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Um. So next, so I, I guess kind of bridging off, uh, well, not bridging, continuing to talk about Jupiter's legacy. Um, is that part of the Miller World deal? Yes, yes. So that's that's a way over to Netflix now. Nice. And now is that gonna be like a series, a movie or um animation maybe? Um short answer is I don't know. <laughs> um from various conversations I've had with Mark uh, in the past year, um and it's not always been exactly the same information I've got each time and lots of it was just this is what I think the guys are going to do with it and this is what I think the direction we're taking it in is etc. I think it's going to be a TV series okay. a live action TV series not a movie or animation so um, and, uh, and I I don't know when I don't know when things are due to to get started, but my understanding is um, that Mark had a whole bunch of IPs and intellectual properties, and uh, and Netflix looked through, through them all. And my understanding is they bought all the stuff that they bought. They bought it with a view to actually actually using it. Nice. So, um, as I say, I don't know when things are getting done and what order they're getting done, but it's it's my understanding that um, they do plan to to actually do something with pretty much everything they've they acquired from Miller World. So, now, do you have any input on uh, like any of your work that gets made into shows or movies, such as? Uh the Miller World stuff or like the All-Star Superman uh, direct-to-DVD movie? Um, no. No. Uh, with the All-Star Superman um, animated thing, um, I heard it was happening and uh, I met Bruce Tim at a con after it and it was actually it was actually before I had it was at it was at WonderCon in San Francisco, and um, and uh, I met Bruce Tim, Tim, who you know I'm a huge fan of of Bruce's comic work. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And uh, and he said that they, they we had a conversation about what his experience was of of a of his involvement with the with with that project and how it was a challenge to to find a sort of halfway house between my drawing style and the DC house animation style right animation house style or whatever you call it <laughs> and um, and, uh, and at that point I hadn't seen it um, and then I went into I went into a, a talk 
right after that conversation with uh, it was a DC panel um, and um, it was Larry Gainham that I was talking about earlier who uh-huh. was hosting the, the panel and, uh, and uh, one of the first questions was um, what did you think of the animated All-Star Superman and I said I've not seen it yet and uh, and somebody said why not and I said well I've been I've been busy working and right. I, I just haven't made time yet to go out to a shop and, and buy one and Larry was like they didn't send you one <laughs> and uh, I was like well, uh, no 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 they didn't and uh, he was just like I can't believe it and, uh, and he said you know like you'll have one by the time you get back home and sure enough I go back home there's a FedEx box with a with a DVD and uh, and I actually I actually put it on to start watching it and um, I was about five or ten minutes in and I was really impressed with how much they had stuck to yes. the kind of scenes that I had set up and sometimes even the, the, the compositions of the, mm-hmm. of, of, of the of the way the characters were you know, based on the, the, the screen and all the rest of it and uh, so I was five or ten minutes in and the, the doorbell went and it was my mother and, uh, <laughs> And she was like, makes a cup of tea, son, you know? And, uh, and I, I couldn't say, Mum, I'm watching a cartoon. You know, you'll need to wait. I just I was just like, yeah, okay. And, of course, I ended up sitting talking to her for ages and <laughs> they all getting back to the... So, by the time I went to the next con, uh, which was shortly after, I'd still only seen the first ten minutes. I just hadn't got <laughs> to watch it. So, by the time I went to the third con after that, I had watched it all and enjoyed it, and, you know? I've totally forgotten what the question was now. I've been Oh, just seeing if you had any input on uh, any of the work of your work that does get put into uh, other media. No, well, there was same. Um, I, I had no input with the the All Star Superman thing. Uh, with Jupiter's Legacy, I don't know. Um, I'm guessing uh, that uh, they're still at discussion stages because. Um, I haven't heard. That they, I mean, I'm sure if I had heard that they started making it, I would probably be sworn to secrecy. In which right. case, I wouldn't even be telling you. I haven't actually heard uh, when Jupiter's legs is starting, but I, I have unofficially heard that it's you know that it's definitely going ahead. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll get in touch and say, you know, like. Do you want to be involved with some of the design work or whatever? And uh, and that would be cool, but um, I I haven't heard anything yet. Because uh, Frank, I would love to see because um, at the panel you were talking about that you've kind of dabbled in doing some animation. I would love to see your style. At least in like the intro, um, in the opening of the Netflix show, like take your, your all your character designs, have, have you do the, the animation for to see like your work in actual motion would be beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, but um, if I was uh, if I was directing Jupiter's Legacy and it was a live action thing, I don't know whether or not. I would start it with um, with comic book drawings or with animation. Maybe maybe I would, but um, and I, 
I haven't thought of this prior to you you making that comment. But <laughs> um, it's like you watch a Marvel movie and it's you you get all those flickering right images of Marvel comics over the years. And that kind of works because even people who don't read comic books know that if they're going to see a Spider-Man or a Hulk or an Iron Man movie, they know it comes from a comic book background that right. they maybe only engaged with when they were a child or maybe never engaged with, depending on what age they are. So, but it kind of makes sense that so you have that that flickering all these comic images from across the decades. If you sit down, if you sit down to watch a, a new Netflix original series, and you're not a comic book guy, you just see there's a new series on called Jupiter's Legacy, and you know, hey, it happens to be about superheroes. Maybe when you click on that, maybe if maybe if it it opens like a regular TV show or movie, maybe if it, you know, like maybe that would actually be more fitting than. If you saw some kind of animated thing where you think, oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Did this used to be an animation and now they've made it into a live action thing? Did this used to be a comic book and they've now made it? You know, maybe it would be kind of cool for non comic reading people to come to this and just see it as a new series about several generations of people who had powers and kind of had different ideas about how to rule the world with those powers. I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't it wouldn't be my first in, instinct to jump in and say yeah let's present it as though you know the, the, the opening credits as though it were either a, a comic book or an animation I don't know if I would do that um, well maybe even if it wasn't opening credits if they could find a way to like on occasional episodes incorporate some sort of animation would be kind of neat at least just to see like the original work uh, that's incorporated yeah. into it well, do you know what? I, what I would actually like to do at some point is, I would like actually like to do a piece of animation, probably two D animation. Yeah. Where two D. I actually, I actually animated my own drawings, as opposed to did some character designs for an animation. Right. You know, I would actually like to, even if it was only like for like one minute or something, I would actually like to. What I do in comics with storytelling and with effects and things, uh-huh. is I try and work out the best way of drawing something so that it, you know, it, it works, you know, in a very specific way when you look at it. And I would actually like to, I'd like to try doing that with animation, where the lines themselves move about and change from one thing to another or whatever. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know. That would be something that I'd, uh, I'd be keen to try in the future. Yeah, Frank, have you seen um, Joe Monterey's, uh like, his video game for Battle Chasers? Because they actually took some of his art and, like, they animated it. Like, it, it, from the sounds of that, that's what you're referring to as well. So have you seen that? I have not seen that, no. No. I think it's called Night War. Uh, Battle Chasers Night War. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain. And then it's, Yeah. I, I, I remember I remember um, Joe Mad's Battle Chasers uh, when uh, when Wildstorm started up, and I remember Wildstorm really seemed like the coolest place. Yeah. <laughs> everything everything was so new, and it's so many 
played so many kind of cool artists and um, but I haven't I haven't seen this uh, I haven't seen Joe's work uh, animated at all no it, it, it looks damn good and I, I feel like your style sure well, also lend lend very good to that. Um, but that's actually a hot take you said though, because like it could, with that storyline of uh, Jupiter's legacy, there's two ways that, that they could take it. They could take it the super superhero method, like say like a la Kick Ass, or like you were just saying, just have a, a, a story about generational power individual without having costumes at all. It, and either could work. Mm-hmm. So that's actually very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know, absolutely. It could, and it could even be somewhere in between the way, to an extent, the way it is in the comic, um, where the first generation of heroes who actually wear the costumes, mm-hmm. um, that's very much a, that's very much a public costume, and they have their secret identities. Mm-hmm. So they could, you know, they could be sitting in a neighbour's house talking about the footage on the, on the the news and TV about those costumed heroes but then you've got a subsequent generation who wear more modern costumes that are more like kind of action suits or wetsuits or whatever and then you've got another bunch of people who don't wear costumes at all like Brandon for instance the the kind of evil son (laughs) and then and he doesn't wear a costume at all and then and neither does his sister, who who end up being the two main characters, and um, and so so I think I think you could kind of do it as a you could do it very much as a live action thing about a kind of an upper class of superpowered people, some of whom use this kind of old fashioned trope of having costumes when out in public and some of whom don't mm. and you could just do it as a an intergenerational power struggle thing you know yeah um, there's, a, there's a bunch of different ways you could do it depending on what aspects of the story you're actually concentrated on it'll be interesting whenever um, and I really hope the yeah I hope it doesn't take too long before Me too. It, it comes out but it'll be interesting to see what it is they actually do with it you know because you know, even just in this conversation talking to you, I can kind of see a, a few different approaches. Yeah, you know? sure. And um, yeah, I think that they might need you in the writers' room. Clay, <laughs> you have some very interesting takes on it that I would never thought of either. Yeah, well, you know, all the all they need to do is fly me over business class to pick up <laughs> a reasonable return. I'll just come up with the meetings and talk. <laughs> It's me. <laughs> um. So one final question for you, because I know, because like, your time is probably close to midnight. Um. What was one? Well, what is your favorite work you've done, or that you're the most proud of? Okay, there's not a specific thing. There's not a specific individual thing that's my favorite. Um. Uh, the underground work that I did when I started out. Electric um, soup. Yeah, lots of that is absolutely rubbish. <laughs> but it really is. A lot of it's very, very poor. Um, it was somebody who was trying to find his way 
uh, sure. like drawing small. Uh, I, I come from art school and had been doing life drawings that were always life size, and then it, trying to draw small was a was a challenge. Um, and of course, the writing. We had a tiny, tiny audience, so I was basically writing to amuse myself and right. a few close friends who I knew were into the stories I was doing. So it was really, it was like, it was almost more like cracking jokes for a couple of close friends. And um, even though, even though most of the work wasn't very good and all of it reeks of somebody who's just starting out and doesn't really know what they're doing, I look back on it really fondly because it was a really happy period where I was, as an adult who hadn't really followed comics mm -hmm. throughout their teens, it was, I was, when I look at that work now, it reminds me that I, as I was working on it, I was starting to realise that comic books or the comic form of storytelling might actually be my niche. It might be, because... I went to Glasgow School of Art and I kind of I kind of wanted to be a painter and I kind of wanted to be a muralist and I kind of wanted to be a graphic artist mm -hmm. and I would have been happy doing t-shirt designs or uh, album covers or whatever. I, I just, you know, I had so many interests and when I, when I kind of lucked into being invited to work on an underground comic. Once I started working in the comic, I kind of, I kind of felt like I, I was finding my place. It was like I'd found, the, I'd found the type of art it was that I was, I was going to be spending most of my time doing. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, even though I look back in this stuff and much of it is, <laughs> much of it's terrible. Some of it's really quite questionable. Um, <laughs> I can see the fact. I can see. I can see how it was improving, issue to issue, um, and you know, um, and the, the Neil Gaiman story I mentioned earlier on. It was only eight pages, but I painted it in watercolours. And after years of having other people um, colouring my work, and even latterly. Uh, with the Invisibles and New X-Men, having other people ink my work, which I didn't right. like. Um, this was me going back to doing everything myself, which is when I started out professionally, because right. after after the underground stuff, um, when I was working for the Judge Dredd magazine, I was I was working on watercolour paper, and I was painting the pages. So this was really nice. The, the, the Sandman Endless Night story was... That was me doing everything myself, and it's a bit overworked, and I feel I could do it better now if I, if I redid it, and I won't redo it, because I wouldn't go back and redo anything. But um, but I look back on that and think, well, that's the best I could do at the time, and it was really refreshing to be actually doing the painting and all the rest of it. And then We Three, I'm very proud of We Three because of the... The, the experimental nature of the storytelling, sure. and similarly with Pax Americana, and, mm. uh, and and I'm very, I'm very, not so much very proud of All Star Superman, but I actually feel very grateful that uh, I got to draw All Star Superman just because it's touched so many people. So they're they're all kind of favourite things for different reasons. Right, sure. 
Okay. All right. So uh, yeah, like I said, uh, you're close to midnight there, and uh, we just take thank you for uh, taking up the time to talk to us with our crazy time difference and everything. Oh, absolutely. Pleasure. Um. Pleasure. So, so I know you said there isn't a lot that you can talk about with your work right now, but is if anyone wants to uh, check out your work, is there you have a Twitter you want to tell the people to check out if you're if you do a lot of social media or anything they can check out now besides I get your Milk Wars covers. Unfortunately, I have no social media. I can't even keep on top of my emails. So I've got no <laughs> Twitter, and I've got no Flickr, I've got no Facebook, I've got nothing, I've got no website, I've got no business card, I've got nothing. <laughs> I'm u- useless in the world's worst networker. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've got a short film that's out just now that you can't see because it's doing the the short film festival, festival. circuit sure. so um, but I'm sure that's going to end up on uh, YouTube yeah, fairly soon um, I've got uh, I've got a, a new book out just now called Drawings and Sketches or is it called Sketches and Drawings I can't mm-hmm. remember um, and, uh, and it's a bunch of behind the scenes stuff for cool. many of the projects we've been talking about mm-hmm. and a uh, and the next plan is to uh, to take some of the short stories I've written over the last ten years and uh, and draw them out as comic strips. Uh, so uh, hopefully, hopefully later on this year, the first couple of them will come out. Nice. I'll definitely look forward to seeing those. Yeah, because the market ha- the market has a missing your work, man. Uh, be, like I said, those covers are nice, but like seeing some interiors is going to be great from you again. Okay, well, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. And again, yeah, thank you for your time. And um, hopefully, like we weren't too much of a, a interesting host to where you come on the show again one of these days. Oh, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to come back. Yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks oh, thank you so much. much. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Frank, and. Uh, Really appreciate you being on. Have a good night. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much. Have a good night yourselves. Thank you.